50% with Marcel Combs, my good friend and mentor. I'm Deantha Gratton, and on this podcast, she will travel a journey of leadership with each guest as she analyzes the ingredients that lead women to their current role. Marcel's goal is for you to walk away with tools to support your very own journey, no matter where your current destination is today. Hello, I've got Deanna. the giggles. I've got the giggles. I know. Hi, Marcel. It's because she gave us food. She did. I was so thankful. It was Mexican food. I love That's Mexican right. Food. For sure. Yeah. Today we have Carrie Wilkerson on the show. Mm-hmm. She's going to be fun. Very she, fun. She is fun <laughs> and energetic. Uh, she's written a book. She is quite talented. She talks about her home life being uh, the only successful pregnancy for her parents out of eight Um that's so. a big story behind all that. Oh, yeah. No kidding. And she comes, she has brothers yeah. that are adopted. And so uh, she tells a little story. I have an adopted daughter, so I can relate, yeah, can to, relate this. to this. One but so. she says that her brothers tell her that with her, they just had to take whatever they got. And with <laughs> them, they chose to, that so her parents chose them. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, but she has so much to offer, has her master's mm-hmm. in leadership. She has written a book. She's just done lots of things, does speaking. She, I think the audience is going to just adore her. They will adore her. She's delightful in just all the things she shares. And, yes. Uh, yeah, kind of a bag of cats. I really she, enjoyed her. She yeah. is for sure. <laughs> Let's go to Carrie. Well, it's a great day, Carrie, and so wonderful to have you on our show, 50% with Marcel Combs. Thanks for having me. Always appreciate the invite. Yes, I'm, we're excited. Uh, as I have read through and, and researched you just a little bit, I think we're going to have a wonderful time, and the audience is going to learn some great things that they can take away after this these few moments. Good. Um, you know, I love to start with you just telling us about your journey and, and, you know, a little bit about you so people can know um, who you are and the experiences you've had up until this point. So as we get into questions, they can just understand who you are as a person. So you can start anywhere you want to with that. (laughs) And people start all over the place. I really enjoy that part, I have to say myself. So let's give it a go. Absolutely. Uh, You know, I think I was probably born into a very ordinary, very ordinary life, like a non-spectacular life. However, I had a spectacular beginning. And uh, I say that because I was the seventh of eight pregnancies uh, of my mom and the only survivor. So from early on in my life, I always wondered a bit why? Why me of the eight? Now, I do have three brothers. Uh, as they like to say, when my parents bought, they bought boys. And when they didn't have a choice, they got me. So we we are a combination of adoption and birth in my family. And the DNA, the DNA stands for does not apply. Um, so we, I grew up in a culture of adoption. I grew up in a culture of 
um, flexibility. My dad was military officer. My parents married when my mom was 17. She was very much the 1960s, 70s housewife. Um, and it was a very conservative home. Uh, we had girl chores versus boy chores. We had very um, traditional gender roles, which is ironic, um, which is ironic now because I have spent now so many years breaking through ceilings and um, redefining gender roles or rebel, not rebelling. I mean, is it rebelling if you're sweet about it? I don't know. I don't know. But redefining, <laughs> let's go with that. So I, I grew up, I was the baby for 17 years and the only girl and at, at the end of a high-risk pregnancy. So my brothers will say I was wrapped a little bit in bubble wrap. But the truth is I wasn't like my parents were more strict with me. They were, because I was a girl, like I had different rules and I had to stand up to the boys. So I'm pretty tough. Even though I'm little bitty, I'm pretty tough. Um, and I was trying to keep up with them. And so I never saw any difference between us in school, in sports, in anything. And I think that really served me well in the business world. My parents will tell you I was born talking and uh, I always knew I would be on stage, but I really thought it would be as a musician. I studied music my whole life. I was a performer. My mom is a musician and played the piano, cut my teeth on the piano bench, uh, married a vocalist, uh, studied music in college. I always tell my kids they were bred for music. You should hear them and see them perform. They are they are freakishly good. Don't tell them, but they are freakishly good. If we could just get their level of discipline to match their level of talent, they would be phenomenal. But I always knew I would be on stage. And when I was in college, um, uh, I got married early on. And so we changed schools because he was already out. And I got done with school. I said, I'm so finished. I'm so over it. I want to be finished. I want to be done. What can I change my major to to get out as quickly as possible? That's how much thought I put into the degree, degree I changed to. And I changed to mass communications. So I got to study some media, which was interesting because it was analog. It was analog media, not digital media. Uh, I was very familiar with computers, but my dad made the comment, what? You're getting a degree in how to talk. You already knew how to do that. If you could just figure out how to get paid for talking, baby girl, you'll just have it made. <laughs> so there you go. My dad is a little bit of a prophet. And every time I speak now, I say, okay, dad, uh, thanks for speaking that word. So um, I was a teacher. I, what, I've worked in the private sector. I've worked in the public sector sector. I always say I'll never be Miss America, way too short for that. But I but I do hold the title of miscellaneous because I've done a little bit of everything. And what changed my world and changed my life was when we decided to parent, six years after we got married, we decided to pursue adoption or family planning at the same time and see which happened first because we knew we wanted to do both. And we adopted siblings from the foster care system. They were 19 months apart and we got them at the same time. So I was an overnight mom. You got them? Uh, the baby, she was eight months old and, uh, my big boy, he was two years and three months old. Wow. And so overnight, everything changed literally overnight. My priorities shifted, my goals shifted, everything changed. And I wanted to be home and not because I was raised that way, not because I had traditional roles in my head. Um, 
but because they had a hard start and I didn't want them to question who their mom was. I didn't want them to question where home was or where safe was. And so I made a choice to be home. However, this was 1998, a different century, literally and figuratively. And I said, you know, there's this thing called the internet and I have these amazing skill sets and drive and degree. Uh, We can't really afford for me to give up my teacher salary but I think I can make some money at home. I'm a pretty smart girl. Let me take the summer. You know, as a teacher, you still get paid over the summer because they stretch out those meager wages. Um, And so I said, let me take the summer and see if I can figure something out from home. So what I think is important for people to hear and to know is that I wasn't raised in a culture of business. I didn't study a culture of business I didn't have a dream or a life-changing idea or ambition. I didn't want to get rich or make a lot of money. I wanted to pay the bills and be home with these little people. That was it. That's that's what started my story. Hmm. And as, as I started learning and studying and putting some small things in effect, it just started getting bigger and smarter and evolving and then my why and my reasons why evolved. So I started getting asked, like, what are you doing? Would you come talk to us about what you're doing? I never intended to be a speaker. Um, Okay, I can talk to people. Um, I'll come do that. Found out I was good at it. Found out I was good at it and it was fun and I loved it and I was entertaining and kept getting asked other places and bigger places. A publisher approached me, would you write a book about what you're doing and how you're leveraging you know, at home and remote work. And so we wrote a book. I didn't create a proposal and pitch it to people. They came to me because of what I was doing. Um, Same with coaching. I didn't start doing business coaching because I wanted to be a business coach just because I was in business and I started mentoring people. So I think that what I want people to always take away from my story is I was an average girl born to an average family. And I... I just wanted to make a few hundred dollars a month and and respect my priorities. And then as I did that and as I learned and did and figured some things out, then I wanted to share it with other people. Um, I didn't want to keep it to myself. And isn't, isn't that the core of business? Um, solving things for other people and shortcutting things for other people and serving other people. And so that is the story. It's the reason I write. It's the reason I speak. It's, I don't have any, I, I don't have any goal of being famous. I don't want to be anybody's guru. Somebody said to me the other day, um, what do you want to be known for? And I said, I don't, I don't mind being unknown. Like I don't, I, I'm okay with not being known. I'm okay with serving who I serve and doing what I do. But if I can give permission to people to break the mold a bit and to challenge status quo. Oh, this is new. I just wrote this down, Marcel, the other day. This is new. You're the first show I've ever said this on. We have a choice. We have a daily choice. Status quo or status grow. There's really no in-between because the non-choice is a choice for status quo, what everybody else is doing, thinking, saying, being, whatever. So status quo or status grow. And um, I just really embraced a growth mindset early on. 
Um, and that's why I do what I do. So I don't have any lofty ambitions to change the world. I would love to change the game of business. I would love to change how people think about work. And if how that makes sense. would you like? Yeah. Well, my husband is a retirement planner, a traditional retirement planner. He has been in the same job for almost 30 years. He did take a 12-year mid-career retirement and worked for me at home when the kids were little. We worked together. Um, but he helps people that are in traditional jobs save a little bit of money every month in smart ways so that at some point they can stop working and still have money, right? I... I would love to redefine work so that it doesn't have a start and stop point. I would love to redefine retirement so that it doesn't have to exist. Why should we stop serving? Um, maybe retirement now means, or work now means creating meaningful work and being well paid for your service to others so that it's not such a grind you feel like you want to quit or have to quit or need to stop or count down the days or it, whatever. Um, so I think uh, there's a quote in Moneyball. It's a baseball movie with Brad Pitt. And um, I, I've seen Moneyball at least 10 times. Same. And I, I'm a movie person and I am one who will watch a movie I love. But I, in fact, my husband said one night, seriously, do you have to watch this movie again? I don't watch it every day, but about every six months. <laughs> I yeah, pull it yeah. and I love Brad Pitt. I, I know there's lots of gossip, but I love Brad Pitt. Um, and to just the concept is taking something, the truth that mm -hmm. we know, know, and, and redefining it. Yes. You know, there are some real truths, but yeah. there are truths that we just accept. And they might not really be truth. Yep. And what I love is that he says, listen, this was never about winning. Cool. Like using the numbers and the money to predict the outcomes and to change the teams. It was never about winning. I want to change the game. Yeah. And so that's what my book, you know, 11 years ago, Barefoot Executive was about that. It was about my corner office at that point, overlooked a cow pasture and, and rolling hills. And my corner office now overlooks the pool and the waterfalls and, you know, the, the hammock in the backyard. And sometimes my corner office looks like a hotel room when I'm on the road, or it looks like, you know, a beach cabana. Uh, not that I'm one of those laptop lifestyle gurus. It's not that at all. It's about what's important to me that I do want to design around. And for as a mom, you know, for 20 something years now, it's been around my kids' priorities and the things that are important to them and the things I want to foster their encouragement. Now it's more around volunteering. And in this season of life, it's about how I can serve my parents and how I can show up for my parents in really meaningful ways. And so, so that's my story. That's why I do what I do. It's not about famous. It's not about being known. It's not about being remembered. It's about maybe being a voice in somebody's ear that gives them permission to think about things a little bit differently and giving themselves permission to say, why not? Mm -hmm. 
Do you know, I know you know, you noted in your bio that you're a combination of <laughs> Renee Brown, Ellen DeGeneres, and Dr. John C. Maxwell. I know John really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, his definition of retirement is that you get to do the thing, just the things that you want to do. So um, that that goes along with what you're saying. But talk to us a little bit more about either your your blender uh, personality or let's just say, could it be schizophrenia? I you know, in a lighthearted <laughs> way. Um, but how out of all three of those mixed together, which I think we've already seen a little of that. Mm-hmm. Probably so. Yeah. I used to say now that that uh, illustration has evolved. I used to say Irma Bombeck, Zig Ziglar, and Mary Kay Ash. <laughs> right? Okay. And and at least two of those are Texans. Um, but as <laughs> as the population is aging, you know, I had to modernize those a bit. And so I am I love Ellen and uh, her sense of humor as well as her generosity are two of the things I love most about her. She's she definitely breaking ceilings in her own way. And she's just not afraid to leave, lead with humor and generosity. And I, I relate to that a lot. Um, John Maxwell leadership and leading, leading and writing and just very unapologetically who he is. And then Brene Brown is very researched, but also unapologetically Southern and vulnerable. So I think we've got to quit thinking that science and research makes us rigid and unapproachable. So I think if you take all of those, um, that that's a bit of a peek inside to who I am. And the reason I say things like that in my bio is because people are most comfortable and feel most like they know you when they can liken you to something. When they can liken you to that. And so it doesn't intimidate me at all. It doesn't mean I want to be Brene Brown. It doesn't mean uh, I want to be John Maxwell. It means, okay, if you're familiar with these people, I'm a little bit of all that. I could use a food analogy. I could say I'm like sweet tea, but also there's a hefty dose of cayenne pepper in there. Uh, and And you get that little bite, you know, while the sweet's going down, but also the caffeine. So, so I, I say that to say, we don't have to be single faceted and we're actually best when we're not, when we embrace all those things that are beautiful about us. That's what makes our brand. Our brand is us. When we create a brand and try to step into that or be that brand, I find it's not as authentic. It's not as relatable. And, um, and there's a, there's a chance somebody's going to see you not being that. I just have always unapologetically, uh, from my first book, which was The Barefoot Executive, that's who I was. Everybody else was all about fancy shoes and all about status. And I was all about, uh uh-uh, I don't want to dress up. I don't want to leave the house if I don't have to because I've got these amazing kids that I worked really hard to have and to choose and to adopt and to raise and to school. And so I really wanted to define things on my terms and- um, I think that's the core of good business, good service, good community ship. And uh, yeah, if the better you can roll all those bits of your personality into one, uh, the more you can do that, the better. So you, de- you did all this with at least two children. You may have more than the two. Um, and, and how did you make all of that work? I know you were working from home, but you were still working 
Um, so there was a lot to to move the pieces around on the chessboard. Yeah, we did um, add two homemade kids later, the old-fashioned way. So I have two bought and two homemade. And uh, one boy, bless his heart, he's the oldest. And three girls. <sighs> girls are expensive and a lot of work expensive. and a lot of drama. Holy smokes. Uh, and to top it off, my kids are all very much performing arts kids. So our drama level is high. It is so high. Um, <laughs> and I have quite an age span. So they now they now are 15 to 27. So oh, we've wow. got the span. I've still got a uh, child at home. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, we did all of that. So people now that'll say, well, it's easier for you because your kids are older. I will say to them in my trademark <clears throat> style, tough love. Uh, they weren't born at this age. Like they didn't arrive at this age. I've been doing business literally since the older two moved in. They are the reason I started business. And so we have covered the gamut of instant toddlers, two at the same time, both mobile. Like there was no not crawling phase, two, both mobile. Right. Yes. They would not stay put. And then, uh, and and then when you are when you go through the foster care system like therapy appointments visits court all the things and my husband at that point was traveling four days a week or so oh, no. uh, it was a lot it was a lot and then we had uh, pregnant two pregnancies two births um, we have parented. Uh, my son is a special needs adult, so he will never be fully independent. Um, we have two that are non that are neurodivergent, and so we deal with all the gamut of um, depression and ADHD. And then we hit COVID. Uh, so I also ran my business and parented through COVID. Two in puberty while their mom was hitting premenopause. And let me just say, when I recover emotionally from that, that'll be a humor book. At some point, it's too soon. It's too raw right now. But <laughs> but we've we've done all of that with building and working the businesses. So anybody that says to me, "Oh, but but but," uh, uh-uh. uh, nope, nope, not not hearing it, not having it. We've done it. Uh, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of boundaries. Uh, there have been things we had to say no to, like just. No, we can't run do that, not only because of the span of the kids or because of my special needs child or because of whatever, but because of of work. I mean, anybody that thinks, oh, you work at home so you don't have to work as much, like they're delusional. They're delusional. And I don't do as much housework maybe as as the typical housewife, Um, but I either, like it either goes undone or one of the kids helps with it, or I hire it out. I mean, that those are just the same options everybody else has. Um, I just, we've had to figure out what the absolute non-negotiables were and then how to work around that. So sometimes it meant all-nighters. Now, that's when I was younger and could work those kind of deadlines. Now yeah. I need more sleep. Um, yeah. The so sometimes it required some sacrifice, and I know that's not popular with a couple of the current generations. Sacrifice is not a popular word, but short term sacrifice, long term gain. I mean, you don't have to sacrifice or hustle or grind always, but there are periods of intense bursts that are necessary, right? Um, it, it's how you build muscle, it's how you build grit, it's how you build resilience. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that you you learn from smart people. 
you drop some ego instead of saying, oh, I already know, or, oh, I should be able to figure that out. Sometimes you accelerate your results by learning from smart people and you set your ego aside. Um, I would say you have to be okay with people not getting you, people not understanding you. My closest group of girlfriends for the past 30 years, we literally were all newlyweds together, all had all the baby showers together. All, you know, we, we still are pretty tight, but they don't get me at all as far as work. They have not, like, they're just now going back to work and they're going back to work super part-time. They were late adopters with technology. They didn't want to do email or texting or any of those things. Um, they didn't, you know, it was very much like, why can't you come go with us while I'm working that day or I'm out of town that week? Or, you know, it was, so you have to be okay. And I guess that's what I mean when I say status quo or status grow. You have to be okay being different because there's something very hardwired in us that we want to be like everyone else. We want to fit in. And so when you make an active choice to not fit in, your soul is still wired to belong. Mm -hmm. And so you're always going to gravitationally pull to that or have to fight against it. Now, I haven't shed them. They're still, they're still my sisters and we still spend time together, but I had to be okay with them not understanding me or not getting me or not being fully on board with some of the things that I did. And so I think at some point you have to say, how do I make this work? Well, I have to protect my heart. I have to know who to share what with. And I have to be okay with everybody not being supportive. It, it doesn't mean they're working against me. It just means they're not necessarily having a parade or celebrating you or referring you um, or showing up to see what you do. And And I had to be okay with that very early. If you look at at where, where you started and where you are, are there things you would do differently? Well, I started with dial-up internet, so I would have started with high speed sooner <laughs> if it had been available. You had, you had a magic wand. <laughs> if I had a magic wand, I would have created high speed internet sooner. Um, you know, I there's a lot of things I did right early on. I surrounded myself with smart people. I invested in my business, you know, as soon as I could. I, I would say if there are things I would do differently, I probably would have hired differently, maybe. Mm. Maybe hired for systems earlier. I really resisted a lot of hiring and a lot of systems because I wanted to stay small and lean and I didn't want to manage because of some backgrounds that I came from. I, I really was, I kind of erred in the opposite direction. But at the same time, I always gave myself flexibility to, for instance, the kids always knew that their senior year in high school, I scaled way, way back. Hmm. They say I took the year off. Trust me, I did not take the year off, but <laughs> they felt like I took the year off. And it's because yeah. I knew that was their launch year. And so they had me so much that year. We yeah. traveled, they went on business with me. Uh, I supported, you know, some committees at the school, that kind of thing. Um, and that, that meant a lot to them. I wouldn't, I wouldn't change that at all. I learned so much, even from the stuff I messed up with that. I don't know that I would change anything. I've, have I left a lot of money on the table? Yeah. Am I okay that I left money on the table? Yeah. Um, I, I lived a, a certain lifestyle by choice. We lived beneath our means. We lived modestly on purpose. I, 
I rejected the guru lifestyle on purpose because I didn't want to, number one, have to keep up with that. And number two, it just didn't feel like me. Um, and and I caught a lot of flack for that. I probably lost customers for that, that people that wanted to be mentored by that kind of guru. And I'm, I'm really okay with that because now people are circling back around and saying, okay, 25 years, now tell us how you've always been so true, how you've always been, you're kind of an enigma in the industry. Have you always been so true? And I say, well, it's because I just stuck with what was me. I just, now I have grown. I am a, I have evolved as a human, but I've never strayed from what was me, uh, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. If I could go back and do anything, I would say I would have restricted devices and social media with my kids mm. earlier. But as someone who worked on them and was adopting them, we really didn't know the dangers and the algorithm. We didn't understand what the ramifications were going to be until later. So if I could go do one thing, it would be protecting my kids from devices and algorithms until they were maturity, mature enough to handle it. Do you know that has evolved too um, yes. from the beginning, which, which makes it so very dangerous. In fact, sometimes I'm a little worried when I think, did I write that down somewhere or did I just say that? And they're listening. That's what freaks me mm, out. Yeah. The monitoring. No, I mean, I get it when I order something from, you know, a retailer that now it, yeah. it stops up to the point that I'm not smart enough to get rid of all of it. I've tried to get rid of it, but I Yeah, I, I actively retrain my streams to what I want to see and what I don't want to see. But, but teenagers are... Uh, more vulnerable and, you know, less mature about that. And they think what they're seeing is truth. And so yeah. if they, uh, here's an example. We had uh, a school shooting in Arlington, Texas a few weeks ago, really close to home. And um, my 15-year-old, who's almost 16, who's who's pretty mature and, and really good about talking through things with me, she said, Mom, I just can't get this out of my head. And I said, do you want me to tell you why? Or... Or are you open? Are you open to that? And she said, "Yeah, tell me." And I said, "It's because you click on stories on TikTok and Instagram about this or about the family, and so it keeps feeding you other things related to that, and it won't allow it out of your mind." Oh. So, if you actively choose for the next two days to not click any of those things, but to go click funny cat videos or go click, you know, uh, some art videos, it will change your stream, which will change your brain. Well, and, and I know a lot of adults that don't know that. They think, oh, well, this, this is such an important legislative piece, blah, blah, blah. It's all over the news. Well, it's all over the news because that's what you're watching. That's what you're clicking. That's what you're reading. Like, do not click on those headlines. Um, my feed is ridiculous. My feed is home improvement videos. I'm a, a DIYer. I love to knock down walls and paint things. And, and so my feed is that. My feed is really strong women speakers. My feed is some faith-based people that I really like. It's also some uh, habit people that I follow. And 
also we have a healthy amount of cat videos in there because my girls my girls love to send me cat videos because they got a cat this summer so i don't see a lot of negativity in my stream but it's because if something sneaks in or pops through i don't click it i don't read it i don't i i choose what platforms i'm going to get my news from and i choose where i'm going to follow but i don't want to train my brain in that way do you know something uh, you said earlier, and, and I, I really, I've spoken lots on generations and, and generations in the workplace, um, in particular to healthcare people, but you, you mentioned short-term sacrifice to long-term gain. What, what I see, even in the service industry, where, where like people are paying for someone to serve them, uh, that the people that they're paying are in are an entitled group, and that entitled group is saying, "I don't want these people. I don't want to serve these people. I don't want." And they're demanding their employer. And in in my head, sometimes I'm just silent because I I'm not sure they want to hear what I have to say because certainly I I'm in an older generation um, but but I wonder what the world is going to be like and how do we speak especially to young women Carrie um, about if you're in a service industry um, and I, I've always been in healthcare we are we are serving people's needs in their most vulnerable state, mm -hmm. families mm -hmm. in a vulnerable state, and the person is is losing control. Um, and yet our employees have a list of, I don't wanna, um, you know, type things going on. I, I struggle with how to help them. How, how would you, how would you help them or mentor them? Yeah, I think that um, we have a huge absence of grace mm -hmm. in culture right now. And I wouldn't say that's necessarily generationally specific. I see it in all the generations right now that the grace we expect people to show us when we mess up or when we're hurting or when we need help is different than the grace they're willing to show other people. And it's a very self-serving, self I deserve mentality. Um, I think humans are humans are humans, no matter what the skin looks like, no matter what the hair is, no matter what. Uh, I think, and healthcare is a good example. Like you're supposed to render aid no matter if you agree with the person's tattoos or piercings or clothing or gender choice or any of that. A human is a human is a human. And if they have organs and you are qualified to help them, you're supposed to help them. And so I, I really think our, our number way we can do that is by modeling, by modeling the grace by calling it out um, when you see a news story or when you're having conversations around the table and saying, why does that upset you so that their choice is this? How does that affect how you treat them? Why would that affect how you treat them when really they may be struggling, when really they may be hurting, when really this may not be who they are? Uh, I think perspective is a huge 
is a huge thing. And until we try, you know, my mom used to say, try to walk in somebody else's shoes. You know, I would say put on somebody else's glasses or sit in their chair for a minute. Um, before you try to second guess their decisions or their reactions or their emotions, maybe if we just jump to assume that they're hurting or they're having a hard day or that something else is going on, maybe that helps us temper that reaction or temper who we serve. Um, I do think it's a lack of training. They're not getting that kind of training at home. They're not getting that kind of training in schools anymore. They're not being raised in the church. And say what you want to about the church. We did learn a lot of manners in the church, whether you agree with scripture or not. We learned how to sit still. We learned how to respect while other people were talking. We learned that the older people needed us to hold their hand when they stepped from here to there. We learned to let the the elders and the children go first. I mean, there are lots of things that we learned in community community that we don't have now. And a lot of that was grace. Um, and, and honestly, we can, we can blame the women our age. We can blame the women our age because they're the quickest to complain or demand the manager or yell about the person in front of them using food stamps when they don't agree what's on the conveyor belt. I mean, all of those things pass generationally and our kids and their friends are picking those things up. And so I think until we realize that the human race is one race and, uh, and race is, is really kind of encapsulated in the word grace, we need to show people grace and assume that things are hard and assume that they've been hurt and assume that they don't know maybe what we know. Um, but I... I just think we have to model it first. And then with my kids and even my spouse and my clients, I never assume that they're going to pick up on subtlety. So I will spell out and say, the reason I am reacting this way is I think she must be wounded about something. And I never know what's happening at her house or what's going on behind closed doors. And so I'm going to choose to respond this way. And that's a choice. And they may be taking advantage of me or they may be laughing at me. I don't care. I can only control how I respond. Um, I, I do think back to what you talked about, short-term sacrifice, long-term gain. We, we also have a culture very much right now. And I, I do hate to generationally compartmentalize, but I think we have a culture right now that it's more of a, I deserve this instead of I earned this. Mm-hmm. Now that's subtle. It's really subtle, but... Um, you know, when I'm talking to my 25-year-old about her budget and she says, well, I'm going to go buy this because I deserve it. And when I say, why? Why do you deserve it? What did you do to deserve that? Mm -hmm. Or is it better to say, I'm going to do that on Friday after I do this, this, and this, because then I will have earned it. Mm -hmm. It's different and it builds up a whole separate set of muscles and confidences and integrity when you are rewarding yourself based on what you've earned instead of what you just inherently deserve. Um, And I know that syntax and, you know, we could get deep in the weeds on that, but I try not to reward myself till after that I've earned it. Otherwise, I'm being spoiled. And other people say, well, self-care and we need to spoil ourselves. Do we? Do we? Because we're a nation in debt. We're a nation that's obese. We're a nation that has consumption problems. Um, 
we're a nation that's destroying the carbon footprint by disposable clothing and disposable all the things that we do. Are we are do we need to spoil ourselves? I think we're pretty spoiled. Like the fact that we can eat anything we want at any time of day from any shop or restaurant or whatever. I mean, we are pretty spoiled. Even the least of us is pretty spoiled in a lot of ways. So I would say even just shifting the one thing to how can I earn that instead of why do I deserve that could change the complexion of culture. I went to yoga yesterday. Does that mean I got to earn an ice cream? I don't know. <laughs> if that's what you, if that's what you create, if your behavior, uh, if your discipline of five days of this equals that, that's totally up to you. Oh, now you went from one day to five day, Kara. You have to set the boundaries. Otherwise, they're always shifting. So you do have to set the parameters. Goodness. Um, and I didn't have ice cream yesterday. I just want everyone to know that. So, But, <laughs> but it I doesn't matter if you did. It doesn't. We're not going to food shame you. It doesn't matter if you did. Get food shame. Now you seem like Brene Brown. So I, I'm picking up <laughs> on your... Your, your statements of personalities. So, <laughs> so what, what inspires you today? What makes you get up in the morning and think, I'm, I'm going to do this? You, you've raised three kids. You've got one more at home. If, um, and of course, you influence those children the rest of your life um, for sure. Hmm, that's a good question. If you would say a, a question I get a lot is what motivates you? Like, why do you keep working? What motivates you to keep now that your kids are gone or don't need you at home as much? And I would say, if your why, if your reasons don't evolve with you, um, then that's a problem. So as they got older and they didn't need as much hands-on from me, it became other things like giving my husband some career choices or it became more evident that my son's special needs were going to be very expensive or that my kids pursuing, um, you know, performing arts is very expensive. And so them being able to study with, with some amazing people or have amazing opportunities, um, those, those kind of things excite me. Choice excites me. Having choices excites me. And that goes back to, mm, I want to say it was about 2001 and my grandfather um, was released from the hospital and was not allowed to go home by himself. And my parents were in Canada for an extended period of time, five years. And so he moved in with us and I had two little children and a fairly wow. new business. And, um, but he didn't have a lot of options. Um, he was very tight fisted with his money. He was not going to pay for any help he made too, he had too much money to qualify for like uh, mm -hmm. state assisted help. And so he didn't have a lot of options. So he was living with us and very prideful, not a kind man. He, uh, he was reverting back to some of his abusive alcoholic days. He was not drinking, but I mean, he was just becoming mean, which sometimes we do when we feel defenseless and choiceless and, nice. Um, the day I had to pull him out of the bathtub, he had stayed in the bathtub too long and, and the water got cold and then his muscles started failing and he couldn't get himself out. And then he was too proud to ask for help. So I went looking for him and he had to admit he couldn't get out. And so the day I pulled my 85 year old grandfather out of the bathtub as a, mm, how old was I? Maybe 31. Uh, it was a life changing day for me because this is what happened. I said, this will not be my parents' reality. 
or my in-laws reality. They will have choices. Even if I'm the one that has to fund those choices, they will be able to preserve their dignity. They will be able to choose if they want to be home or bring in help or move in somewhere. They will not have to be pulled out of the bathtub by their grandchild. Because I stepped into that moment of what that must feel like for him. Well, no wonder he was angry. No wonder he was upset. Um, His grandbaby girl was having to pull him out of the bathtub. He was was helpless to what she decided to cook for dinner and, uh, you know, all those things. So we chose to invest in long-term care insurance for all of our parents. It was an expense. It still is an expense. But we're now seeing dividends on that as our parents are aging. And so things like that, choices for my parents, choices for my son, choices for my girls who get to pursue different things, that motivates me. Uh, That excites me. Being generous in an extravagant way is a lot of fun for me. So funding things like foster care and adoption and and advocacy and and volunteer programs is is very exciting for me. Um, That excites me. As far as does my work excite me, this is a controversial statement. Are you ready? <laughs> I don't think I don't think you have to be passionate about what you do. Hmm. I think you have to be passionate either about who you serve or the results that you're getting that enable you to fund or find the things that you're passionate about. Hmm. I'm passionate about adoption, but I can only adopt so many. And I can only, I can only, you know, I could go speak about it and I could go do those things, but to monetize that doesn't feel great to me either. Mm-hmm. So how then do I become a, a force for that? Well, I use my skill set and my audience and my education and I monetize that to such a way that I can then go fund those things that I'm really passionate about or speak about those things I'm really passionate about. So I don't think you have to be passionate about logging into your task manager or working with your team, but I do think you should be passionate about either the clients that you serve or the opportunities that you're funding or what it enables. And if I was going to say, based on your statement, what inspires you, you certainly have a heart for people who have adopted or want to adopt. Our foster system broken. is a mess. I have one adopted, my daughter's adopted, um, not through the foster system, but I have many friends who've adopted through there. And it's, it, it truly is difficult. I, the whole situation is difficult, Carrie. So thank you for doing, you know, work there. That's, that's really a big thing. So I I always love to end the part with um, what books you or podcast or um, whatever you're listening to or reading, how does that, um, or or your favorite ones, any of the above. I love to end with that because I have a personal list of, you know, what's going on and you mentioned a couple things already but um what what are your what are those i love the go-giver by bob berg and john david mann go-giver is something is short it's parable like and it's something that i love to gift to clients and friends and it's been a bestseller for a really long time and i know bob personally um and he's amazing and really embodies that but the go-giver is very important, I think. 
Um, the other two, now, to be fair, I have not read these yet. These just came in hot. And so um, these are two I'm going to uh, pursue very quickly. This one's called Give and Take by Adam Grant. Give and Take by Adam Grant. It talks about the fact that if you really look at the top one or two percent of people, it's not about money. It's not about strategy. It's not about tactics. It's not about education. It's the people that are givers. It's the people that are relationship driven. It's the people that are connected. And I would say that is my superpower. Uh, Relationships and connection and contribution are my superpowers. And so I am really interested to read this, it says why helping others drives our success. Um, and it's been endorsed by so many of our thought leaders right now, um, Daniel Pink and uh, in you know that level of thinker. So I'm really excited about that. I get tired of reading tactical books like the new hot this or the new hot yeah. that or uh-uh, I'm done with that. I want to think deeper. And I think that's uh, coming from a family of Alzheimer's and dementia on both sides. I work really hard on brain health also. I'm very passionate about brain health. I'm, I have a little bit of, you know, nerd in me. And uh, this other one is called Stolen Focus. It says why you can't pay attention and how to think deeply again. And this speaks directly to what you and I were talking about earlier. It's along the lines of Cal Newport and deep work and um, Mm -hmm. why we're so all over the place, but really accomplishing nothing. So those are two that I'm about to dig into with highlighters and post-it notes and and (laughs) really, uh, now that the sun's coming out again in Texas and pool time is about to happen again, I love to take a book and go sit and really study. Uh, it justifies my sun damage, I guess. And uh, and that's that's what we're doing. Your dermatology bill. Your dermatology bill. Uh, that's <laughs> you know, dermatologists have to pay their bills too. So uh, Exactly. So, well, thank you so much, Carrie. It's been delightful to spend this time with you. And, and I know you're just being a light in a world for all that you do. And And I'm just thankful to have you on 50% with Marcel Combs. Thank you so much, Marcel. I hope it was useful. And I look forward to, uh, to connecting with people in social and hearing how it impacted them. Yes, for sure. And Carrie, one more thing. How can people get in touch with you? Oh, yeah. Um, my name is spelled like Stephen King spelled it, C-A-R-R-I-E. So Carrie Wilkerson, that is my handle on every social media platform, uh, as well as my website, which is CarrieWilkerson.com. Okay. Well, again, thank you so much for being on 50% with myself. Thank you.